The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. I am Anne-Marie Schubert, and this is Inside the Crime Files. Welcome to Inside Crime Files with Anne-Marie Schubert podcast. I am Anne-Marie Schubert. This podcast takes listeners inside and behind the scenes of the investigation and the prosecution of some of the most horrific and notorious criminal cases in United States history. We oftentimes examine unique techniques, innovative ideas, and and really inspirational stories that come out of these cases. We have covered on this podcast for now almost two years, upwards of 24 episodes that cover a variety of different types of cases, different types of investigations, and we've also addressed various policies that are impacting public safety. So today, is going to be a little bit different on how we approach this podcast. It's going to be a recap of kind of where we come in the last really two years, but really in particular in this last year alone. And what I think I want to do is just kind of highlight some of the amazing things that we've seen, the cases that we've seen, the guests that we have have had. But I also want to kind of highlight that while there has been so much done to bring justice for victims and their families, there is also so much more to do. And some of those podcasts that we've covered really have highlighted those. So first off, you know, for the listeners out there, I want to just thank you because without you and your downloads, uh, we wouldn't be where we are today. To give you a sense of where we've come just really since October of 21, we've had 31,000 869 downloads of this podcast. And when I learned that today, I was pretty wowed by that statistic. In that time frame, we've had two, 24 episodes and we've now covered two seasons. In that period of time, um, probably the, the top podcast was the Golden State Killer. Uh, obviously, we all know why perhaps that is the most listened to. Uh, there's no question that. Um, the Golden State Killer wreaked havoc on California and families throughout our state. Um, I'm super proud of that podcast, not just because it highlights the tremendous work that was done by law enforcement, professionals, whether it's detectives, investigators, police officers, lab personnel, social workers that are helping crime victims. But the podcast also highlighted really the not just the innovative work done by law enforcement, but really the true impact of crime on the victims and their families. And I think when when you listen to folks like Chris Pedretti or Gay Hardwick about the impact that those crimes had on them and their lives, it often brings back what I believe to be what I call the human toll of crime. Concern over rape is mounting in this community. Many of the same women at this workshop will gather again next month for a sheriff's talk on safety in the neighborhood. Susan Hahn, KCRA News. Well, I think that it's um, uh, 
a very serious situation. I think it's very dangerous. I think that the reason there hasn't been something done about it is because it's a crime against women. I imagine a lot of women in the area are scared and are nervous. Uh, if they could just kind of get to know each other's habits, their neighbors' habits, and call in if they see or hear anything suspicious at all. He did enter a house where there were other people present outside of the victim. He bound his, his victim. Uh, uh, there was a knife used, and he was wearing a mask or hood of some sort. I don't know. I have a gun, but I uh, still don't feel safe being, you know, at home alone. And one of the things I think I've learned the most, not just from that case, uh, having not only sat in the courtroom watching Joseph D'Angelo plead guilty to 13 murders and all the other horrific crimes he committed, but what was most impactful for me, even after 30 plus years of, of being a prosecutor, was sitting in a courtroom for over a week, perhaps, or upwards of a week, listening to the stories uh, the victim impact stories of the Golden State Killer victims. And to this day, you know, even though it's been five years since his arrest, there are things about those impact stories that will never leave me. Um, and one of the things I've often said, you know, I'm now a retired prosecutor, but I, I guess at heart I always will be one. But one of the things I learned over time is that there is a human toll of crime and that violent crime changes people's lives. And, and I just don't say that in a vacuum. What I've learned is that it changes how they lead their lives. It changes sometimes how they raise their children. It changes how they look at people perhaps in the grocery store. It changes the professions that they sometimes choose and ultimately it changes their outlook on life. And there's perhaps no better example of the reality of that impact of crime than, than the victims of the Golden State Killer. And, and I'm still today um, humbled and moved by their stories. And, and, and I'll just give a few examples of having sat in that courtroom. Um, I'll never forget to this day Gay Hardwick telling the judge that she chose to become a teacher because at least she wasn't afraid of children. I will not ever forget the Harrington brothers describing to the judge what it was like for them and their father to remove that bloody mattress of their uh, deceased brother Keith and sister-in-law Patrice. I won't forget the woman that was sexually assaulted by the Golden State Killer who said she never water skied again because D'Angelo told her that he saw her at the lake that day. And I'll never forget the words of people like Chris Pedretti, who said that she had to sing Jesus Loves Me during the assault just to get her through it. So those are just small pieces of what um, those victims and their families suffered. But it's very much the impact of, of the human toll of crime as I talk about it. So while there's no question that I can understand why the Golden State Killer for this audience was, was the number one. I would like to believe that every one of those episodes that we've covered in the last year or so um, has had some impact. So some folks have asked me, which ones move me the most? Which ones have the most impact? 
which podcast, which stories. And, and what do I say? I say they all do because each one has a unique perspective. Each one has a um, opportunity to learn and to see the power of persistence, as I call it, but also the amazing work done by law enforcement and really the resilience of victims and getting through some of the most horrific things they've suffered. So when I look back, I, I, I kind of look at this as so much has been done, but there's so much more that needs to be done. For instance, when we talk about something, so much that's been done, we look at cases like the Golden State Killer, like the the case out of Texas, the podcast with the serial rapist uh, um, and the prosecutor named Leighton D'Antoni and the investigator Randy White from the FBI and the number of victims he had. And I look at um, another podcast such as the exoneration of Ricky Davis. So when, when I think about what's the role of this podcast or what's the goal, to me, it's bring justice. It's also, when we talk about bringing justice, it's about righting the wrongs that perhaps sometimes years ago got things wrong and people suffered as a result of getting things wrong. So for instance, I was incredibly moved to have an opportunity to do a podcast on the exoneration of Ricky Davis. Obviously, I was incredibly honored to be involved in that as the elected DA of Sacramento. And as you all know that I've listened to that podcast, Ricky spent 15 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. As I've said many, many times, DNA is the greatest tool ever given to law enforcement to find the truth, no matter where it leads us. And so, for instance, in that case of Ricky Davis, if it were not for DNA, he would not have been exonerated. And if it were not for genetic genealogy, the actual killer would never have been identified. And so I look at these podcasts as an opportunity for all of us to see not only how much has been done uh, to bring justice, to right the wrongs, but also how much more needs to be done. And, and I look at two podcasts uh, that we've done to kind of highlight how much has been done and how much is more needs to be done. How much has been done? Uh, the Baby Holly podcast, I think, highlights the extraordinary ability of genetic genealogy to, to provide answers, to identify um, individuals. Baby Holly is a, a, you know, a fascinating story that identified the child of to uh, a couple that was murdered. But when I think about how much more needs to be done, I think about baby Raymond and our most recent podcast uh, involving the child, the baby of Donna Green, who was abducted when he was five days old in 1978. And I think about how much more we as a society, as law enforcement members, as community groups, need to do to help Donna find her son, Raymond. Um, so that's kind of when I think about this year in review, I think about how much has been done and how much more needs to be done. And, and lastly, in terms of the impact of DNA and finding that truth as I talk about it, I think about the excitement that lies ahead. I am so honored and grateful to still be in this field of DNA work and what I know and what I have uh, know will happen probably in the next few years is that we have the power, and I mean the power, to solve 90% of violent crime 
in this country if you have DNA, 90%. So when we think about that power, you know, historically, when we have DNA on a case, you can solve upwards of 30 to 40% of cases using what's called our, our DNA databank, what's called CODIS. And now with the advent of genetic genealogy, and many of us call it FIG, which stands for Forensic Investigative Genetic Genealogy, we now have the power to solve 90% of those crimes. And much of that depends on you and our listeners and the public um, willingness to upload their DNA to places such as GEDmatch. So for me, I look at all of those things together. I think about uh, what more can we do? And really, I want to, uh, in this episode, engage the public, the listeners here, because um, I want to hear from you. I want to understand which cases matter, which ones would you like to be highlighted, perhaps which policy discussions we should have, because if you've listened to some of the, or all of the podcasts, um, this year we started to do some uh, podcasts about policies, you know, what impacts public safety, what impacts victims and their families. And so we covered such things as the issue of bail. We covered such things as people being released early from prison. And so I'd ask the listeners here today to, um, to let us know uh, what you want to hear from. Um, so that's where I would say we are at. Um, I cannot emphasize uh, how grateful I am to the the number of guests we've had on here, whether it be the investigators, the victims from the Golden State Killer, whether it be this amazing detective named Carol Daly, who led the way for women in law enforcement, at least in Sacramento County, and who I have the utmost respect for, whether it be for Ricky Davis, who had the courage and the guts to ask to come on to my podcast, a prosecutor hosting it, to talk about uh, his innocence in a case that he was convicted on. Um, and so I just, I want to leave it uh, with these kind of numbers on the Golden State Killer. So you understand kind of where we were 43 years ago and where, where we're headed in the future. And here's some statistics from that case. The Golden State Killer was unsolved for 43 years. It took probably over 600 investigators that worked on that case over those 43 years. There was 15 different law enforcement agencies involved. There was perhaps well over 200,000 personnel hours dedicated to trying to solve that case. There was at least $10 million spent on that. I can guarantee you the victimization cost much, much more than that. And over those 43 years, 8,000 persons of interest were looked at as potential suspects. 300 people had their DNA swabbed. All of those 300 people were excluded and zero people were produced, uh, all, despite all that amazing work by law enforcement trying to solve that case. And then comes along this new, amazing, what I would call seismic shift, or I should say give credit to Gay, Gay Hardwick, who called this new genetic genealogy a seismic shift in crime solving. But along comes that tool, uh, really, and I give credit to Paul Holes for that really amazing idea. And on that little team of using genetic genealogy, there were six people, give credit to Steve Kramer, 
retired from the FBI, Mrs. Melissa Parasot from the FBI, Kirk Campbell, Monica Zykowski from the Sacramento DA's office, Paul Holes, and Barbara Ray Ventner. Those six people uh, were the core team of solving that case. And at the time, it cost about $215 or so to do the type of testing we needed. And at the end of the day, despite 43 years of investigation, in 63 days, the Golden State Killer was identified. That's a very powerful statistic. And you combine that statistic now with a 90% ability to solve violent crime using genetic genealogy. And I say this every day, and I'll say it probably till the end of my days, we are in the most exciting time of forensic science in our lifetimes. We are in the most exciting time for law enforcement to not only solve crime, but to exonerate the innocent, to identify the unidentified. But perhaps the most important is we are at the most exciting time and the greatest hope for crime victims across the world who are still waiting for justice. So some folks have asked me, why are all of these stories still so important, whether it's to me, whether it's to you as listeners, whether it's to anyone. And I guess perhaps my answer is because because they matter, because I've often said this, that if we forget, as I call it, the consequences of crime, if we forget that human toll, then we're failing as a society, because we can never forget that, whether it be in how we handle our cases, whether it be how we talk to crime victims, and perhaps um, equally important is if, if we forget the victims in the way that we advocate for policies or laws, then we're failing because the system needs to address both sides. The system needs to um, understand that there's a real consequences of crime and that we can never forget the victims because, you know, I once learned a long time ago uh, from a former prosecutor named Kelly uh, Ziegler from uh, Texas. She had this amazing quote that talked about really that the consequences of crime and she put it very concisely. When you sit and you talk to crime victims, the one thing that you have to understand is that the day after whatever happened to, the, to their family or to them is the day that they look at the sun a little bit differently. They never see the sunlight the same again. And for me, I've, I've often looked to that as kind of a, a beacon for me because we can't forget it. We can't forget uh, the impact of crime. And so I think each one of these podcasts that displays or talks about a particular case, we can't forget about it. And then others have said, well, what about, you know, what about your podcasts on laws and policies? Why are those important? Because the fact again remains that if we are not cognizant and we're not mindful of victims in the development of laws and development of policies, then we're failing. And so that's why we've covered some of those important issues in these podcasts. And, and we've seen over time uh, the changes that we've seen. And that's why we talked about early releases, because if, if, if you have a case, for instance, where a domestic violence 
victim who's been beaten for years and, and finally has the guts and the courage to stand up and, and to tell her story, uh, not just to law enforcement, to, but to, to get up in a courtroom and to testify against her abuser. And then to have a judge tell her after a conviction, don't worry, he won't get out for 20 years. And then all of a sudden to be blindsided with an early release after maybe 25% of a sentence, that is, um, that's a disservice, but it's also something that the public should be aware of because, um, because laws and policies have consequences. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to not only talk about the cases, but to talk about the laws and the policies that have changed and now are impacting victims' rights and public safety. And then lastly, I just want to thank you because um, I can't do this without you. And and because of your extraordinary uh, downloads and interest, um, this podcast has been now featured as the top 20 prosecutor podcasts on a, a site called Feedspot. So I'm super proud of that. I, you know, I was honestly uh, taken aback a little bit by that, but I just want to thank you to all of our listeners for continuing to listen to Inside the Crime Files with Anne-Marie Schubert. Please write in and tell us what you want to hear about. And I wish you nothing but a healthy, safe, and happy 2024. Um, for the listeners out there, um, I hope you keep listening to these podcasts. You can find us on InsideCrimeFiles.com and listen to more about the true consequences of crime and the innovation, the inspiration that comes out of these cases. So I just thank you all. Inside the Crime Files is produced by Olas Media in San Diego, California. To listen to more episodes, visit InsideTheCrimeFiles.com. Thanks for listening to Inside the Crime Files. Be sure to follow and subscribe whenever you listen to your podcasts. To read the blog associated with this episode, visit olasmedia.com. This episode was produced in studios located in San Diego, California. Lena Alvarez is co-producer. Serving as executive producer and co-founder is J.C. Polk, and Chad Peace is president and co-founder. Olas Media is an IVC media company. Olas Media.